refusing to back down, unleashing the unstoppable force of resilience. There is a raw power that comes with resilience, an unyielding determination to rise up and fight back even in the face of adversity. It defies all logic to pick yourself up after being knocked down, knowing full well that you may fall again. But that's what sets resilient people apart. They would rather take the blows and rise up stronger than settle for defeat. In this exciting and inspiring perspective, we explore the indomitable force of resilience of James Harold Webb, how it transformed his life and how you too can unleash its full potential to overcome any challenge. So get ready to be inspired, empowered, and motivated to take on whatever life throws your way with unwavering strength and tenacity. Welcome to the Wellness Driven Life Show, where you're about to go on a wellness-driven ride. Welcome to Candy Apple Advocacy, the podcast for parents who want to advocate for their children's education. I'm Jim Mallard, and I'm here with my wife, Tabby. We've been through the trenches of raising kids in the school system and know how tough it can be, but we also know how essential it is to advocate for your child and their education. That's why we started this podcast, to share our experiences and insights with other parents to help them become more effective advocates for their children. On this podcast, we'll talk about everything from general education, general school advice, the school choices you have available to you, different education styles, individualized education plans, 504s, and all those key terms that you've heard but don't know what they are. We'll talk to experts. We'll also talk to parents and hear their stories. We'll share our stories with you and give you tools you need to be a strong advocate for your child and yourself. Whether you're a new parent, or have been in the game for a while. We invite you to join our community. Let's advocate together. Let me introduce our incredible guest today. James's storied career started as a radio radiologic technologist in his home state of Mississippi. After moving to Dallas in 1983, he began working as the director of radiology at local hospital and for the next 13 years worked as the director of radiology at a local hospital. I just reread that. Excuse me. He worked on the executive team for various medical imaging companies. In 1996, Webb started his first of several companies and became a key leader in the industry. After more than 40 years in the medical field, he turned his focus to the fitness sector, become one of the largest Orange Theory franchises in the country. James owed and oversaw the management of 33 Orange Theory fitness franchises throughout North Texas. Not one to slow down, 
He currently has three additional businesses at play, including a new franchise opportunity, Centound, where he is currently overseeing the development of 25 stores in the Dallas market. Please help me welcome James Harold Webb. How are you, April? <laughs> I'm great. Thank you so much, James, for being here on the Wellness Driven Life Show. Well, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Yes, I'm so excited to share your story. You've got a great one, one of the best, and you have a great book that you have written just about it. So let's get started. I would love for you to share with our audience a little bit about you. Well, let's just kind of start from the beginning. Uh, born in Laurel, Mississippi, the the son of uh, two 17-year-old high school students, grew up uh, fairly uh, poor, started working actually when I was five years old in making potholders. And we would, my mom taught me how to make potholders, and I would make them and go to the local church bazaars, and I would sell them for a nickel apiece and made enough money that by the time I was about eight years old, I had uh, enough money to buy a lawnmower and some rakes. So I started the James Webb Lawnmower Service. Oh, so you started this entrepreneurial journey very early on. It kind of was in your bones, it sounds. Yeah, I learned really early a couple of things. One, that if I wanted more than the basics, I had to kind of do it myself. Mm. Uh, and, and two, I learned that... Um, Yes, an unexpected twist of life. I have a crazy little story of when I was five years old, swinging on the swing set as high as I could go, and I, I fell off the swing set and I bit my tongue off, and <laughs> yeah, and was rushed to the hospital, and and uh, the doctors decided that they couldn't use anesthesia or deadening medicine, so they put it back on needles and thread with no deadening medicine, no anesthesia. Uh, it took three different attempts. Uh, and may explain later why I refuse to go see a lot of doctors in my life. Uh, but yeah. then really one of my first steps that I would call resilience was getting through that little thing in my life. You know, that's so funny. I myself have a story of biting off both sides of my tongue when I was very little. Um, we had a farm and so we didn't wear seat belts and riding in the truck on the farm. There's a lot of bumps and there goes my chin on that dash, biting them both off. So I, I understand that. And uh, one nice thing is the tongue heals quite quickly, which is a good thing. And at the same time, it can be a very traumatizing experience. And so <laughs> I want to bring in, though, because you talked a little bit about your parents and mm -hmm. your parents were quite young, which led you to start doing things on your own. So let's just add a couple of cool photos that you My dad, presented. Yeah. And yeah, this is your father. Yeah, that's a cool picture. I love to see my mom and my dad in little high school outfits. Um, I was already born by the time they graduated high school. So that's interesting. Yeah, that's amazing. And very young. Yeah, my mom is... My mom is uh, Really kind of a funny lady. She's a little over 80 now. She looks like she's 50. Um, she's living, a, a, you know, her end of her life great. She took care of her mom and she took care of her husband. So she was really a big influence on me as well. 
and then I'm going to show this picture of yeah, the young James Harold Webb. Yeah, I think that's my first or second grade picture, best I can tell. I went to the first grade uh, because it was before they made you go to have a birthday by September 1. So I actually was five years old when I started first grade. Uh, no kindergarten, just straight into first grade. Wow. Yeah. So I wanted to bring those in because it really is more of a unique story for the time period. And, you know, having all of this young energy of trying to make it in the world. When was the first time that you realized that you had to do things for yourself and you wanted something more than to strive for? Yeah, I mean, again, pretty early, I kind of figured out that, that I had to, to do that. And, and, you know, making pot holders led to mowing yards, mowing yards led to a, a newspaper route, newspaper route led to me working at a little printing shop in junior high. And then by the time I was in high school, I was the head pressman of the print shop. And so I worked, went to high school full time and worked full time at the print shop at nights. Uh, and wow. bought my first car at 13 because in Laurel, Mississippi, you could do that. And uh, just kind of kind of ventured out on my own really early. Yeah, you really are an early bird for a lot of mm -hmm. things. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and going to school, <laughs> high school and working that much is, I mean, I, I remember doing that probably not as extensively as you did, but it is impressive. Yeah, we had the, the, what they call the DECA program, Distributive Education Clubs of America, which got you out of school at one o'clock. So I would typically get out of school, run by the local hamburger shack and grab a burger and then head to the print shop. And, and it wasn't an eight hour day. It tended to be more of a six hour day. But then I had Saturdays and Sundays that I worked to kind of make up the difference. And James, was that geared um, initially for farming families? The print shop? No, for the structure that they had with the schools getting out that no. early was for people to be able to do the chores, the work during the daylight. No, you, you no, you had to have a, in that particular case, it wasn't about going back home and working. You had to have a job and, and okay. a lot of them help you find the jobs. Okay. Uh, okay. All right. Good. It was a fun little club to be in. And then had the little convention that I remember going to as a high school student. So uh, it was good. But yeah, school till at one o'clock and working after that. Okay. So you told me a little bit too, that you also, you know, met somebody at a young age. So you also at the, the young age of 19, uh, met your, your first wife. Is that correct? It's correct. Yeah. I, I had, um, enrolled in the local junior college, believe it or not, on a music scholarship that my choir director got me uh, at the college. So it was $250 for me to go to a college per quarter. Uh, and that's when I found out I walked into the x-ray tech program. And I also met this young lady named Regina uh, and we hit it off, dated for about six months, uh, got engaged and got married three months later. So we got married very young. Uh, she became a nurse. I became an x-ray tech and that's kind of where we were. All right. And I do have, um, a photo of a, a product of that relationship. Yeah, that's my daughter, Elizabeth. She's now, uh, I think, 36 or 37, has four kids of her own. 
but that's in the blue bonnets of Texas. If it was a colored picture, we'd be able to tell it. Mm-hmm. Uh, my favorite photo of her of all times, but she's a sweetie. Yeah, that, that is the sweetest photo. I like it too. And so many people make sure that they grab those photos with those blue bonnets. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of them. Matter of fact, they were taking their kids now and down to get pictures made the other day. So it's cute. <laughs> so it's it's good to set this initial, you know, theme of where you came from because you have really done some extraordinary things in life. Can you start guiding us a little more through the next things that started happening for you in life? Yeah. So I, I Regina and I were married. I, I, we stayed at the dormitories at the University of Southern Mississippi, the married couples dorms. And uh, I worked the night shift at the hospitals and then went to school in the daytime uh, and got my bachelor's degree. And literally the day I graduated, I was a little over almost 22. Uh, the hospital administration called me in and said, hey, we want you to take over the radiology program. So I literally became director of education of the radiology program. I graduated from 18 months earlier, uh, 15 students, six of them were my age and three of them I went to high school with. So it was a really good management lesson for me, learning how to manage people. Yeah. That's a core group of folks there, my age. Absolutely. And so you've gone into this leadership aspect now and, and you did a little bit in the past, but that really also sets the tone of that learning opportunity that you have to have in order to be a great leader. And so what was that like and what challenges did you run into when you, I mean, I'm sure you ran into a lot of jealousy, a lot of people who maybe didn't want to listen. Uh, What was it like? Yeah. I mean, it was a little bit of that certainly in the beginning, I think, you, you learn, and again, they don't teach a lot of things in college. A lot of this you learn from life experience. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, I kind of come from a theory X management style where you do it because I said do it. And I learned real quick that wouldn't work with this group. So I kind of yeah. learned how to draw a line between being the boss, but being a friend too. And, and it, it really helped a lot once we sort of transitioned and we knew, okay, here we're at work. James is the boss. Oh, here we're out at, at the discotheque, because that was disco era. And James is not the boss tonight. So <laughs> it, was, it, was a, it was a good, you know, experience of learning how to do that. And, and uh, did it for about only 18 months again. And then one of my crazier tiny stories is I was sitting on my couch drinking a beer and just reached in my pocket and pulled out a quarter and said, you know, I got to do something else in life. And flipped mm-hmm. it and said, heads, we go to Dallas. Tells we go to Atlanta. Uh, came up heads. Quit my job the next day, loaded up a pickup truck in two weeks and moved to Duncanville, Texas, slept in the mall parking lot in the truck with Regina for a few nights trying to figure out what the heck we'd just done. Wow. And just uh, took that big giant leap. That is incredibly impressive. So what made you decide between the two different states or why was there a reason? Well, the two states were the two closest to Mississippi that had universities because I knew I needed a master. I was already thinking ahead. I needed a master's degree now. 
because at that time I thought I was going to go into hospital administration. That was kind of the path you were going down. And I thought, okay, I need to get a master's degree. I need to get more education, more experience. Uh, and it could have easily been a Dell and I would have been in Atlanta, but it came up heads and was, was Dallas. Blue bonnets. It is. It is. All right. Well, so, and you're, you're still with Regina. That's, I, I really think that's just incredibly impressive. And what do you think is the importance of that? How has that made a major difference in your life, being able to take those leap of faiths? Yeah, I think that's something that's really important is having that supportive person in your life. And I've been very blessed multiple times now. We'll talk about some of that later. But it, it's cool that you could make that leap and, and take that chance and someone there supporting you because she really took a full-time nursing job I took a part-time x-ray tech job, started back to college on the master's degree, um, ultimately ended up uh, moving up to the north of Dallas instead of south of Dallas and um, decided to kind of do it a little different and end up a full-time job uh, as a chief technologist of this x-ray department. I think I was 23 and a half years old. Uh, and then went to night school. This is obviously way before the internet. So, you know, it was work eight to five at the hospital and then go to night school four nights a week. Uh, Regina and I tried to have date nights on the weekends and uh, we had the little daughter, Lizzie, when I was about 25. So it was a really good time in my life at that point. I was just really steady working, school, baby, kind of fun. All right. Yeah. So you were trying out what it was like to have that family and where things are a little more, you know, consistent and routine. We tend to do that when we start families, when we have children, children do a little better when they have that routine. Right. And yeah. they teach us so much. My goodness. I mean, having kids is a totally different thought process and exploration of what life brings. And I like to say it, you learn what to die for means when you have your first, right? And so that's incredible. James, it, it sounds to me like you are just this really high performer and through life, you, you shoot for the stars. And if you're not aiming somewhere, you just keep going and want to keep excelling. Yeah, I, I would agree with that statement. I think it, I don't know if I'm a high performer, but I'm a really lucky performer. But I'm always the guy that's willing to, to take the leap and the jump and, and, and make the necessary things. One of the things that happened, I'm literally chief technologist at 23. And the same thing that happened to me with the x-ray tech school happened at the hospital. Three months after I'm there, the department director resigns and they named me director of the radiology, entire radiology department yeah. uh, at 24 years of age. So it was, it was really cool experience learning, uh, managing people, learning how to manage people, how to create culture. Uh, that, was a, that was a really steady stream time. It was also that time where I really was working on my career. I'm going to step up the ladder. I'm going to the hospital administration. This is where I'm going to go. So what happens next? Uh, what happens next is Barry O'Brien. So, so Barry O'Brien walks in the door one day at the hospital. This is when MRI first came out and they're starting a mobile MRI company. And he asked me 
would I join them to start this mobile MRI company? And I was literally like, heck no, I'm going to be a hospital administrator. But uh, he brought me to Connecticut to his office and did an interview with me going about 130 miles an hour in his Datsun 240ZX. Uh, <laughs> and I ultimately said yes. And so I joined him. And that's really kind of when I got out of the clinical side of medicine and more into the business side of medicine. Wait a minute. He had you captive in it this? <laughs> it was a fun captive. You know, it was a fun ride. I've never done 130, but one other time in my whole life. Uh, so, you know, you kind of want to get the interview over with and say, yes, so I did. Oh, uh, that's fun. That is really cool. It reminds me of a time, uh, when I was in law enforcement and my patrol vehicle would only go up to 120 <laughs> and I was so mad about it because the sheriffs would go up to 130 and I didn't think that that was right because he wasn't the one going to all the calls it you know, for, as the first responder. So anyway, fun times, right? I had a cute conversation with the police officer one time when, when I, I told him my car would outrun his car. Cause at that time I had some hot rods. He says, yeah, but you can't, can't outrun my radio. And I went, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> so we had a big laugh about that. That is true. You know, those state patrol vehicles have some of the quickest. Yeah. I don't mess with them. I'll pull over quick. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Cool. Well, you know, James, um, you have some great stories and thank you so much for sharing them. We're going to move into our first commercial. And then when we get back, I'm excited to learn more about the what was next in life's journey. Stay tuned. Perfect. With key ingredients supported by over 80 clinical trials, the exclusive formulation of the Bella Grace Collagen Elixir is changing lives everywhere. Ingesting collagen peptides alone is not very helpful. This is where most collagen products fall short and where Bella Grace changes everything. Unlike other collagen products, the Bella Grace Collagen Elixir controls the gene switches which activate collagen creation and disables the enzymes that break down the matrix. Bella Grace Collagen Elixir contains Verisol, the world's best and most clinically studied form of collagen. These elite collagen peptides influence the skin's collagen metabolism directly from the inside. Nature's most powerful antioxidant. 6,000 times more potent than vitamin C. Astereal astaxanthin prevents the activation of gene switches that drive inflammation and activates the gene switch responsible for cellular repair and longevity, forming bridges across cell membranes, protecting them from free radical attack. Amazonian cat's claw suppresses the enzymes that degrade collagen and our skin matrix caused by oxidants and inflammation. It simply turns the switch off. The world's most studied collagen, plus activating the genes that make collagen, plus switching off the genes that break down collagen, has resulted in something the world has never experienced. The Bella Grace Collagen Elixir. Start your 30-day Bella Grace Challenge today. Ever heard of Stoicism? 
Chances are, if you have, you've heard of Stoicism with a lowercase s and not Stoicism with an uppercase s. Lone wolves, no emotions, antisocial behavior, cold, indifference, all that is Stoicism with a lowercase s. Stoicism with an uppercase s is the ancient Greek philosophy and virtue ethics framework that centers on service to the cosmopolis, to include your family, friends, community, and planet, and the development of a good moral character. My name is Tanner Campbell, and I'm the host of Practical Stoicism, a three times a week podcast teaching Stoic principles and concepts to anyone interested through the exploration of texts and deep dives into various moral topics. You can find Practical Stoicism where you're already listening to podcasts by searching for Practical Stoicism or by going to stoicismpod.com. I invite you to give it a listen today. You just might like it. Can learn more about Bella Grace in the description below. And coming back to Mr. James Harold Webb with your great journey through life, I would love to know about the what happens next because there was a bit of a shift in life later on with your first wife, and then you met someone new. I did. So, so we took this little mobile MRI company. This is in the very early days of MRI technology. We put these 25,000 pound magnets or MRI machines in trailers. And then we would go from hospital to hospital to hospital on routes. And we went from three routes to 52 routes, uh, 52 different machines in about three and a half years. So at this point, I'm 30 years old. I'm sitting at a big office on Beltline overlooking the city of Dallas. I've got 300 employees. I think I'm hot stuff. And then uh, the phone rings and uh, words are very simple. Mr. Webb, uh, we just sold the company, and since you have no equity, you're fired. And I, I learned right on the spot that I'd been a hard gun. And uh, it was a bit of a shock, uh, but I cleaned my desk out. I went and played golf to clear my head. Uh, and then fortunately, I was somewhat known in the industry because it was a young industry. Uh, I had a job the next day in Atlanta, Georgia. So um, I packed up, moved to Atlanta. Regina stayed in Texas with Elizabeth to sell the house. Uh, we were having a bit of struggles in our marriage. We'd been going through therapy. And eventually she joined me in Atlanta. Uh, and I will tell you that I, I love Atlanta, the city, but I hated that particular time in my life. You know, mm -hmm. in an unhappy marriage, didn't like my job, hated my boss's boss, uh, and uh, just kind of had a real struggle there. And then again, I get these lucky little phone calls and uh, I got one that, that sent me in a different direction. And I could continue. So I, I, I um, got a call to go to work for a company, become the president of a medical imaging company that was physicianed on. And if you know anything about medicine, there's a thing called the Stark Law, which said physicians couldn't own things that they sent patients to called self-referral. So this was 15 imaging centers owned by physicians, and I had to go divest all the doctors, create a marketing structure, turn them into independent facilities. Uh, and at the very first one in Chicago, I was sitting there doing one of those meet the boss kind of things. And uh, Regina and I, by the way, had filed for divorce at that point. And uh, she had stayed in Atlanta. Uh, and I had then moved to Boca Raton, Florida, where the company was located. Uh, and a young lady walked into my room and said, 
hey, where's your cowboy boots? She said, I thought all you boys from Texas wore cowboy boots. Well, I wasn't wearing cowboy boots, but I was immediately smitten by uh, Martha Beth Fisher. And uh, what started out as a working relationship turned into romance. And um, she stayed in Chicago where she lived. I was in Boca with a lot of traveling back and forth. I would see my daughter one weekend, see her one weekend. She would come to Florida one weekend. I'd get a weekend break. Uh, we did that for three years. Uh, wow, three well, years. I was busy re rebuilding this company. I was pretty busy working. Yeah. And, uh, then finally she moved to, um, there she is, she moved to Florida with me. Uh, and about a year later, we were married. Uh, and life was great. We bought a house in Boca Raton, Florida. I had a what I thought was a cool job as president of this company, making a decent chunk of change for me, for a country boy. And... Um, then the little thing happens again where the, the opportunity pops up and I jumped. A, a doctor who I knew asked me if I thought the company would be interested in taking MRI uh, into the Caribbean and Latin America. And I said, um, I don't think the company will do it, but I might like to do it. So I, I went to my boss, the chairman of the company, and said, Steve, I need two favors from you. I need you to fire me. So I can exercise my severance package, which was six months. And I need you to be my first investor. And fortunately, he said yes to both. And so that started uh, Paradigm Healthcare, my first company. Wow. That's a <laughs> that's a fun story. You have things planned out, though. You're definitely a business fan. You're, you're really well at navigating that and getting a big picture of. So... I wanted to bring in this picture and make sure that we had Marsha here because it was, I mean, I don't know. It, she, she was in a sense kind of like a first love. Yes. No. I, definitely a, a first serious someone that I made that ultimate commitment to um, uh, without any question. And, and there's so many twists and turns of the story. I mean, I'm a country boy, Southern Baptist country boy. She was a big city Jewish girl. So we had to navigate that. We had to navigate living so far apart for a long time. Uh, so we were able to navigate both of those things and, and ended up uh, marrying. And then we had Max, my oldest son, who is now 25, living in New York City. Uh, and then two, three years later, we had Joey. Um, I was traveling and internationally. Bringing those boys. There's my boys. Yeah, they're, they're a lot lot different than now. They're 25 <laughs> and 22. Yeah. Um, but they were great kids. And, and you know, Marsha was so supportive and so good at taking care of the family and making sure that, you know, we had the boards were taken care of. I did everything I could on the weekends, but I was pretty much traveling Monday through Friday and 99% of that internationally down the Latin American Caribbean. and got crazy stories and crazy experiences. Yeah. Uh, well, you're welcome to share any of those if you want. But I'd like to add that sometimes I think some of the most beautiful and strongest relationships are when you've had that distance at first, you know, where you you have time to really miss each other. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think it was it was new for me. I'd never had that. I'd always, you know, married a little country girl next, you know, who lived 20 miles away from me and we were married 10 years. And so I kind of started branching out on my own. Um, 
we'd been in Dwarf Shore a little bit before I met Marsha. Uh, and um, it was it was a neat experience to kind of have that long distance thing because we did a lot of trips in the middle because I might have a business meeting in D.C. and she would meet me there. I might have another meeting somewhere else and she'd meet me there. So it was a lot of fun. Wow. Yeah, that is fun. I think that also your time together is just really well spent, um, you know, because it's more intentional. And the first relationships that we have when we're really young, we hardly know ourselves. And so it's a little more challenging to to really know what love is. I have a comment that came in here. Manly says, I think that's the first time I've heard a favor related to being fired, very bold, and a brilliant calculated risk. Yes, I really enjoyed that story as well. That so, was, go ahead. No, so that was good. I liked it. Yeah, yeah. And did you have a story of when you were traveling abroad? You said there was a couple of wild things that happened. Yeah, I mean, it was an interesting experience traveling abroad, and I think that I'll, I'll tell you three quick stories. Uh, one of the places we were at was Managua, Nicaragua, and I made 53 trips to Managua, Nicaragua over a three-year period trying to make this deal work and put it together and, and got it done and then make it successful. Uh, trip number 51 I decided to take a break and climb a volcano. It's called Vulcan Messiah. And I climbed it and it was a little rickety, like diving board type thing over the lava. And so I walked out on this thing and I'm standing there, sulfur's burning my lungs. And I look up and there's one Sandinista soldier and he picks up his rifle, he points it straight at me. And for about a split second, I thought he's gonna shoot me. I'm gonna fall in this lava and no one's ever gonna know what happened to me. I'll be the DB Cooper of medical imaging. <laughs> yeah, there won't be much left, will there? <laughs> well, fortunately, he put his gun down, laughed, and walked away. Uh, second story, I asked my lawyer, who's the biggest employer in the country? And he said, the Sandinista soldiers. And I said, but that's the old Oliver North stuff we learned about in high school. He says, no, Sandinista still control the military. So I asked for a meeting with the Sandinista soldier medical director, and it was straight out of a Rambo movie. It was driving out into the jungle, rusty gate, nobody around. I banged on the gate. Next thing I know, I've got a gun to my head. I've got a gun to my ribs. I'm thrown up against the wall. My attorney was shaking and screaming. The doctor I was with was shaking and screaming. <laughs> and all I could say was Chamora, which was the name of the general we were supposed to meet. And what was probably 30 seconds, but felt like an hour, uh, they realized that we were okay. And they took us inside to meet with the general. Nice little meeting. Nothing came out of it. Final trip, my bodyguard, and yes, I had a bodyguard sometimes, hands me a sawed-off shotgun and says, Senor, there's a riot in the city between the police and the taxicab drivers. Got in the back of a pickup truck, went right through the flaming fires and gunfires and the fights and got to the airport and just realized I couldn't do this anymore. And when I landed in Miami, I called Steve, my primary investor, and said, I'm going to sell the company. I just can't do this out of you know, I have a three-year-old son. I have another son about to be born. Mm. And uh, Too uh, risky. Yeah, so we sold the company, made a little money, uh, and uh, it gave me a chance to kind of sit back. Not the money you can quit, but the money you can kind of assess what you want to do next. 
So I built a home office, started doing consulting, uh, investing in an imaging center back in Texas with a couple of buddies. Uh, and uh, it was supposed to be mailbox money, you know, where you get to check once a month, but it, it wasn't mailbox money. It was my money going that way, mm. not their money coming this way. So in um, 2001, I packed up a three-year-old son, a three-week-old son, and a supportive but somewhat upset wife and moved from Boca Raton, Florida to Plano, Texas. And I remember kissing her on the cheek and saying, I'll see you in four to five years. I got to go to work. And oh. I did. So, oh, wow. So we, she built us a life there. Marsha was great. She, she made us a friend set group that I'm so friends with at this day. Um, she took care of the boys. We had date night every Saturday night, regardless. I got into coaching kids sports. So I spent time with my kids. So I coached 17 seasons of some kind of sports. Uh, and we went about trying to fix and, and rebuild the company and had a zillion catastrophes, but ultimately turned it around around 2004. And uh, yeah, went on to become the largest medical imaging company in Texas. Awesome. James, you have a lot of really powerful points in here where you learned in, in kind of hostile environments what you would accept and what you wouldn't. And also the sense of bravery that comes with that, you know, the fact that you did move forward with it. It's like, well, I'm going to meet this person, so let's go do it. And, you know, having that experience really gives you some insight of what you're capable of. And I really like the fact that if something isn't working in your world, that you you shift and you don't just deal with or or you know not move any further, but you really take initiative to do something differently because it's not working. Yeah, it's, it's actually how I define resilience. Resilience is the art of getting knocked down and back up, but not just getting back up, but it's finding the right path. There's no point in getting back up and knocked down and getting back up, knocked down. You right. get back up and then you find the correct path. And and for me, that's been a really key factor in what I call my book, Redneck Resilience. Yeah. It's getting knocked down so many times and then getting back up, finding a different path. I, I didn't mention this, but in 2003, we had, I'd spent all our money. We were dead broke. Um, and um, I made a couple of business decisions that people said wouldn't work and they did. And uh, we went from $9,000 a month distributions to, I don't know, by 2010, if it wasn't seven or $800,000 a month. To me personally, I'd want to know why, which sounds crazy, but that's really, I got good at guy. And it was all about finding these little pathways and getting through the struggles that we had as a small company. Yeah, absolutely. James, what are some of the things that you do that help guide you into finding that right path? Yeah, I, I, I like to call myself a decision maker. I don't lay around a lot. I make decisions pretty quick. So mm -hmm. I'm, I'm someone that says, okay, here's the path we're going. Let's go. I don't think about it a ton. I don't research it a ton. You know, I know this is direction. It's just kind of a gut thing. This is direction I want to go. I'm willing to take the chance. Let's go. Now, oh. I also have a, a theory that you you hope for success, but you plan for failure. So I always have a backup plan no matter what I do. So mm -hmm. if this doesn't work, what's my backup plan? 
So I've always had that kind of mentality. I like that. And that definitely rings true throughout what you've said here, flipping a coin, packing up and moving, saying, Hey, you know, we're going to, we're going to give it a go. And if it doesn't work, then this is what the next plan is. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing. Yeah. So our lives were never the same after we learned our 21 year old daughter, Kristen was murdered by her ex boyfriend. It's a parent's worst nightmare. How much did we really know about domestic violence back then? Clearly not enough. Now we know plenty. We know domestic violence, or DV, can happen to anyone. One in three women suffer physical violence at the hands of intimate partners during their lifetimes. One in three. I'm Bill Mitchell, host of the When Dating Hurts podcast. And my interviews with DV counselors, law enforcement, and especially actual DV survivors give the pandemic of domestic violence the attention it deserves. The When Dating Hurts podcast. It's a series of lives being saved. You know, resiliency is, is key, right? Again, having to get back up. And... Tell me a little bit more. I'm going to bring in uh, another photo. Well, this is a photo of your business. Yeah, this is. We were a medical imaging company. We all had outpatient centers. So when your doctor ordered an MRI on you, MRI on you, he sent you to us. And one day I, I got to thinking about it. And this is the open MRI days. But if you think about the ones now, they're just a big tube. Yeah. You know, how people are claustrophobic and uncomfortable going in the machine. And I wonder. I, met a bunch of folks decided i'd try to paint machines and what you have to know is that you can't use any iron in your paint because remember you're dealing with a magnet right. and so we had to figure that out but once we figured it out um we were the first person first company to ever do this this was our first machine we ever painted and we made it into the big rt magazine which was our industry magazine uh, and every one of our imaging centers after that had a theme so you would come in and they would, you, we hoped, and a lot of people told it, relaxed them. Yeah. Let them have their scan. And so this was just a picture from that. No, but I like that. And, you know, it's, it really shows the innovation that you've created within your businesses and for great cause. I mean, people need that, you know, yeah. when they're, when they're going through, challenging times in life or they're afraid. And so anything that we can do to kind of alleviate that and guide them through with ease. Yeah, we, we always talked a lot about that topic with our employees. You know, people that were coming from MRI were nervous. You know, it was their mom, it was their dad, it was them. It was some reason they were there. And we had to show compassion. Yeah. Be nice. Always had to be nice. Uh, and this is just one little thing we did to make it look a little cuter and nicer. Well, I think it just, it speaks volumes of who you are as a person as well. And I'm going to be moving back a little bit more. I want to bring in this other comment from Manly. He says, um, and that's resilience. And while incredibly scary, tell me any country boy who does appreciate a shotgun and a pickup truck. I know it requires a disclaimer. <laughs> that's cute. Yes, Manly. I enjoy a shotgun. I still have my dad's shotgun in my closet that I used to go out and hunt squirrels with. And 
yes, we ate squirrels, and yes, we ate raccoons, and yes, we did all that, and yes, we had pick them up, as we called them, pick them up trucks. Pick them so, yeah, up trucks, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's great. So we're going to shift gears a little bit again. And the the next photograph we have is something that's a little more tender on the heart. Yeah, th this is the, the definition of, of uh, really the worst year of my life and, and also a definition of true resilience. Um, Marsh and I were coming back from the radiology show they held in Chicago uh, in November of 2011 right after Thanksgiving and, and, uh, you know, we're sitting in first class, we're having a little drink thinking we're top of the line. And every time I find that happens, something happens. And sure enough, she said, I have a stomach ache. Can we stop at the local, uh, ER clinic? And we did. And, uh, 40 hours later, we had a confirmed diagnosis of a stage four pancreatic cancer. She had no symptoms, no signs, completely rocked our world. Wow just from nowhere, came out of nowhere. So I uh, turned my company over to my employees and said, I'll see you guys in six to eight months. Uh, I actually looked at the medical images that were taken of her, so I knew what I was looking at. Um, and I knew that there was no chance, but we tried. We, we went all over the world looking for answers. Uh, we ended up at MD Anderson, Dr. James Abruzzi, the top guy probably in the world at the time. And they did all sorts of experimental treatment. Uh, none of it worked. So in May of 2012, May 20th to be exact, uh, she was dismissed from the practice, given about 30 days to live. And it, it gets as crazy as that story is, it gets crazier. We are driving back from Houston, very sad, obviously. I get a sharp knife-like pain in my back, diagnose myself with a kidney stone, really kind of pissed off that I get a kidney stone on that day. And... Um, take Marsh home, put her in bed, because at that point she was a little cognitive impaired and got her in bed and um, went to the hospital and had a scan and I didn't have a kidney stone. Uh, I had a tumor about the size of a baseball and a, a few days later, a diagnosis of uh, stage three renal cell carcinoma. So I had cancer all of a sudden, stage three. And, um, you know, went home that night. I can remember sitting in my driveway talking to the man upstairs, you know, why is this happening to my family? Why is this happening to Marsha? You know, what is happening in my life? And, and um, anyway, next day, got back up, put my resilient hat on, went about finding a hospice care for her and meeting doctors for me. And I didn't make another crazy decision and decided to forego radiation or chemo and just told them to cut me open, gut me and take what they needed to. And so um, they, I was put in the hospital. They took my kidney. They took the tumor, a little bowel, some other stuff. Just kind of scraped out what they could, sewed me up. And then I did another crazy thing and walked out of the hospital in 19 hours to go home and take care of her. Wow. She, she made That was the last photo of her ever taken. Um, that was right before I had my surgery. Uh, we were hosting an a engagement party for some friends at our house. And they want to do it for her. And then she made it about six more days. And then with her boys holding her hands and me whispering her ears, she took her last breath and uh, went to a better place. And we were kind of left to figure out our lives. So that was, uh, that was 2012. Wow. So I'm a little teary eyed now because that's, 
That is a, a very difficult time in life. And it's stuff that is unavoidable. And we, we have to either keep going. Again, like you said, it was really where you learned the most resilience in life. It was the most challenging time in life. And so quick, you know, life happens just like that. And we're put through these incredible shifts where we have to completely change the way that we do anything, the things that we do day in and day out. And through that, it's very, very challenging. How did you, how did you get through that time period, James? Yeah, you know, I think one is just kind of a trait of just the resilience of knowing I had two little boys. I mean, they were the driving factor for me, my two sons. They were 11 and 14 at the time. And uh, I was a thousand percent committed to them. Uh, two, we had a good friend group, really good friend group that was supportive, that was there at the end as well. Uh, Marcia's family and I were close and we're close to this day. Uh, her dad, I consider my best friend in the world. Uh, so, you know, kind of navigate it by just relying on others, looking for help and, and resources, but really focused on my boys. Yeah. And then eventually got back to the business. And um, it really triggered me to realize that I needed to probably think different about business a little bit. At that point, we had about seven companies and I decided to start uh, seeking exit strategies uh, because I did learn that you do not know what tomorrow will bring. That one I can tell you. Yeah. And, uh, and then, you know, I was taking care of my boys. And then there's some fun parts of the story after that. I, I was able to take my boys and we spent almost two and a half months traveling, just the three of us uh, all over the world. It's one of the good things about, you know, getting a little successful. You can just do that. And we had some great memories together, great times together. We talked about their mom sometimes. Sometimes we laughed, sometimes we cried. But it was a really good time for me to bond with my two boys. I was just going to say that I imagine that the bond was very, very tight. And um, I'll again bring in this comment. And this goes back to uh, the last photo. Uh, mainly says, that's not crazy. That's amazing. Love. And having the boys i mean that's just such a huge huge thing for those of us when we go through these major shifts in life when we have something someone that we have to keep getting up to take care of and to to continue to lead for and be the example for it makes sometimes all the difference it it, it did for me i mean it 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 drove me in, in a direction that changed my life. I, I was taking care of my boys. We were uh, spending time together. I got a nanny to help take care of too, so I could do that. And then when I got back and sort of better spirit of mind, I thought about dating again and realized that, you know, the bar scene wasn't for me because I had two little boys. And I realized the guy that lives three blocks from Jerry Jones world and you know, has a big house, might might be susceptible to drama. So I did something <laughs> kind of fun on one of our little trips with the boys. I, and this is a little bit later, different trip. I um, signed on to match.com. Yes. Tell me about this because this is an interesting twist as well. 
It, it, it is. I went on Match.com and and I lied. And and I've been told that lots of people lie on Match.com, but I lied in a little bit of a different way. I uh, said I was an X-ray tech, raised a widower, raised two little boys. I didn't really go into the details of my past or my business, uh, and uh, put my profile out there and really kind of forgot about it. And every morning or so, I would look and. Uh, one morning I looked and uh, the term in match.com and somebody winked at me, which meant they were interested in me. So I went back uh, and winking led to texting and texting led to emails and emails led to phone calls and phone calls led to my first first date in 21 years and my last first date for the rest of my life. Uh, as I said in my wedding vows at my darkest hour, uh, God sent me an angel. He sent me Catherine Lynn O'Keefe. She's just a year younger than me, and she had two beautiful daughters that were grown. Uh, and we dated for about two years, two and a half years. Uh, got engaged. After that, she moved in, started helping me raise my boys with me. Uh, and then we were married uh, in 2015 on uh, May 23rd in a crazy, crazy, crazy wedding that... Um, uh, everybody still talks about to this day. So, t yes, tell me about this crazy wedding. So, well, again, you know, I'm very fortunate, very blessed. I've done okay. And uh, Marcia, I mean, Marcia, Kathy had never had a wedding before. She had been married before, but they just got married at the at the courthouse so they could, her husband could get a house from his company. And she never had a honeymoon, never had any of that. She had been divorced for 22 years and she had raised her two daughters like I was raising my two sons. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we had what I call a wedding for the ages at the Four Seasons. Uh, I'll simply make a silly comment that the flowers alone were $250,000. So <laughs> we made the centerfold of Modern Bride magazine. There it is. Yeah. We wrote a beautiful story about our second chance at love. Oh, I love that. I mean, it you you hold the essence of that there's life after loss that there is second chances that what i really like to say is that life the only constant is change right and just because you're feeling one way one day doesn't mean you're going to feel that tomorrow or even an hour or a few minutes like things change so much and I think that if we get anything from the story, it is just that, that there is something on the other side of tragedy. There is. And I, I think that that can be applied into business lessons. That can be applied into life lessons. And, you know, it was tough. It was tough losing Marsha. It was, it was, it was tough taking that, that next leap. Um, there's a Yiddish term called Gershut, which means it was meant to happen. And, and I've always thought Kathy was sort of meant to happen. We got connected through some logarithms on a match.com site. We'd have <laughs> never met otherwise. We'd have never met. There's no way. Uh, and uh, it, it worked out. And, and we just celebrated our eighth wedding anniversary. Congratulations. Thank you. It's a beautiful story. And I love that, you know, you said, I feel like God sent me an angel. You guys have a great relationship now. And and she's very, very supportive of you, you know, because it's important to continue not mourning forever, but 
holding that space for your loved one that you had, for the relationship that you had prior to, and holding space for you in that and still loving you. Can you want to talk a little bit about that and her support? Yeah, she, she's amazing at that. She, I've always said to her, I can't do what you did. You know, she, she, she's, she's, she's good friends with Marsha's family. They love her. Um, we're going to see them in August. Uh, her and Marsha's dad talk about TV shows on the telephone sometimes. So it's, it's just been like this amazing fill-in-the-blank connection. Mm. Uh, and she supports my, you know, having my moments where I have to think about things. And she knows that on next Thursday I'll be in Chicago um, at the cemetery. She knows that already, and, and she's supportive of that. So it was it was really, uh, I was very blessed to, to meet her very blessed to develop that relationship and then have someone that would support me, not just in business, but in my past was pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I do too. And that's why I really wanted to bring that up because I think that that can be uncommon as well, where you find such a loving, supportive spouse that really allows your experience with your past and, but, you know, really can provide a good present and an exciting future for each other. Yeah, we're having a blast now. Um, still working, still got my companies, but I sold eight, eight of them have been sold over the past uh, five or six years and um, started some new stuff and having fun with that. But uh, well, let's yeah, I want to talk a little bit about that just briefly, too, because you know, after Marsha had passed, you said that you were starting to rethink business and now you're going into a thought of transitions. Yeah. So I went back after Marsha passed and really began structuring the companies for sale. It was, it was a pretty simple process of what needed to be done. And, and um, I still had the, the biggest one, the medical industry company for another five years, uh, but sold it in 2017 public knowledge because it was a public company that bought us for 94 million bucks on a nice little payday and um, uh, really developed that entrepreneurial spirit early in life as we've talked about and for some reason I can't stop because I've got four more companies right now started another but I'm doing some things different now I'm doing doing more mentoring more not worried about whether Tom or Sally punches the clock that's not my job anymore my job is to provide guidance financial support, provide direction, wisdom, wisdom. And then I, yeah. I'm doing my first deal with a family member. The first one I've ever done, my son-in-law and I are doing a, a new franchise. We just bought uh, 25 locations, uh, the, the rights for 25 locations, I should say, in the Dallas market. So we're bringing this new franchise and having fun doing that with him. And then Kathy and I, uh, we have a house in Mexico. So we live there probably half the year, maybe, maybe a little more than that. We travel back and forth to Mexico a lot, and now we've got six grandchildren. So um, that's just the girls. The boys have not started uh, making babies yet, so we'll see what happens there. But just, yeah, <laughs> having, having a really good life right now. Yeah, you're concentrating on family. You've got a great work-life balance, it sounds like. And, you know, from really doing the hard work 
during the younger years, you have built this incredible foundation for yourself where you're able to do that, where you can have that work-life balance. I love that you really transition to a different location. Um, and I, I want to bring in one of the photos of you because I think it's just the coolest and had to have this um, also in the flyer because it really is this essence of living it up and soaking in the sun. And um, I remember the first time we tried to attempt the interview, we didn't have a good connection. And maybe because you were on this paradise island, I don't know, question mark. But, you know, I just think that it's incredible, James, for you to share your story because, uh, yeah, it's all of that hard work. And here is your book. I want the audience to know about this. Do you want to say kind of an overall nutshell about your book that you provided, which I think is really incredibly named. I love the title. I think you were brilliant in that and it looks good. Yeah. I had a lot of fun doing this. Um, this listen, it tells my story. There's so many more stories in, in every chapter has either a business lesson or life lesson summary to it. So people have really enjoyed the book. We, we made Amazon bestseller list as you can see. So that was kind of cool for me. Uh, and, uh, no, it's just a fun read. It's not a long read. It's not a boring biography. Most people says it, uh, it reads like I talk. So that made that I kind of laugh at that. <laughs> there's a few four letter words in there, I'm sure. Uh, but no, there's the book. I'd love people to read it if they want to. I'm just, uh, yeah. enjoying life and, and trying to give back now. And we started a family foundation. And so we we're doing a lot of philanthropy now and just really, enjoying the, you know, realizing what a five-year-old kid did. I didn't up this way. I had no idea. <laughs> Got lucky, I guess. Well, but I think that you really are able to, with all of the years, and like I said before, you're sharing your wisdom now with people. Yeah. And that's, that's truly what we should be doing when we have gone through all of life's challenges is to be able to share that with others, inspire others. And, and you truly have gone from rags to riches. And so that's why your story is being shared here. And through your book, I'm so pleased that you're sharing that with the world. Um, Manly says you can't lose if you don't stop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's there it is, you know, so I also want to make sure that everybody knows how to reach you, where to find your book. It's all going to be in the description. And the website is www.jamesheraldweb.com. That's J-A-M-E-S-H-A-R-O-L-D-W-E-B-B.com for those of you that are listening in. And again, that's going to be in the description below. James, it's been awesome to have you on the show to share some of your fun, fun stories and some heartbreaking stories as well. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with the audience today? No, I'll simply end it with this. And I always do usually, which is if, if today and if only for today, I encourage you to, to kiss your spouse a little bit longer, your significant other, hug your child a little bit harder, mm. help a stranger on the street without expecting anything in return. 
because I promise you this one thing, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. Uh, I sure didn't. God bless all of you. Oh, thank you so much, sir, for sharing that and for being on the show. And for everyone else, goodbye for now. We will see you tomorrow. <laughs>